Yeah, we are doing oh, this. Oh, okay. It's right. on. It's on. We're here. We're here. You've already told a story about English breakfast and the Golden Girls. Are you going to use all of that? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Hello, podcast world. Hello, hello. Welcome to Kicking and Streaming. We are kicking. And, and we streaming. are streaming. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. <laughs> That's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding. There's a podcast called Oh No, Ross and Carrie. Oh, that's right. I remember you telling me about that. Yeah. But are they your favorite audio siblings? <laughs> no, they are not. I don't think we are anybody's favorite audio not yet. siblings yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. But um, yeah, they investigate shit so that we don't have to read about it on the internet. Good for them. God's work, truly. Yeah. And that's not unlike what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Because <laughs> you and I, we can talk about movies forever we have whole conversations in movie quotes so i mean not at all inaccurate and when you're two we're not necessarily sheltered but when you're two you know mostly kept at home kids from the midwest you know (laughs) what else are you doing but watching videos and fucking around (laughs) but we're constantly annoying our friends and family by like repeating the same conversations over and over again about movies you are not wrong what do you think is the most repeated piece of movie trivia that you throw out there oh that's that's so hard like I would be willing to bet knowing you it's something about Titanic. It used to be, like, when I was little. Like, that's all I could talk about, because I'm obsessed with disaster, but... You are obsessed with disaster. Or something uh, from JFK. Yeah. Yeah, me always throwing out some fact or something. Something about the historical inaccuracy. So, the most repeated piece of movie trivia that I probably repeated, not anymore, because now it's a lame joke, but... When Les Mis came out, I, of course, like most of everybody, was fascinated by the fact that they recorded all of this audio live. I said it so much on campus at Ball State, where I was going to school at the time, that my buddy Mike, he he made fun of me so much for it that he used to start going, did you know? And then like I would lean in like a fish on a hook, and he would go, Les Miserables was recorded live? <laughs> We decided that the movies that we wanted to talk about were ones that came out when we were kids and ones that have followed us kind of throughout our lives a little Mm -hmm. bit. Um, That's a lot of time. People around our age were pretty much born between 1985 and 2000. And certainly 2000 is not the cutoff date. We decided that for our first two episodes, we were going to each pick a movie from the year we were born. And I picked my cousin Vinny. And I get to go first because literally I was here first. You were here first. I was. How old are you now, Carrie? I'm almost 30, right? No, you're only 26. That's his favorite joke. And how old am I? You're 21. Wow. Really? You're 22. Thank I know, you. I know I'm you're be 20. 23 this year. I know you're 22. A funny thing happened to William and Stanley on their way to college. At what point did you shoot the clerk? They got framed for murder. Whoa! Wait a minute! Now, two kids from New York are in deep trouble. It's time to make your phone calls. The clan's here. They're in bread. They sleep with their sisters. In the deep south. Some of them do. And only one man can save them. You need to call an attorney, a great attorney. He's not your typical hero. We got an attorney in the family. Great, who? He's... My cousin Vinny! It's his first case. Now, did not tell you dress appropriately. You were serious about that? you handled that judge oh you're a smooth talker you are it's their last chance the two youths did you say youths yeah two youths what is a ute but with Vinny's style i wore this ridiculous thing for you and Vinny's girlfriend we agreed to get married as soon as you won your first case my biological clock is taken like this and the way this case is going i ain't never getting 
get married. They're dead meat. May I have permission to treat Ms. Vito as a hostile witness? Do you think I'm hostile now? Wait till you see me tonight. Joe Pesci is my cousin Vinny. You two know each other? Yeah, she's my fiance. Well, that would certainly explain the hostility. So should we just okay. dive into it? We just got to dive into it. We just got to get there. We uh -huh. just got to start. I have 12 pages of notes. Mm -hmm. You want to start or shall I? I will start. Ah. <laughs> the 1964 Buick Skylark rumbling down the highway in Alabama. We've got Ralph Macchio driving the Buick Skylark through His Alabama. name is Bill. We have to call him Bill. Bill Gambini. Bill Gambini. You know. And Stanley Rothenstein. Yeah, Stanley Rothenstein. No, it's Rothenstein. Steen. She called me Steen. She called me Steen. So they're obviously on a college trip because there's a bunch of, first of all, there's a cooler in the back full there's, of beer. There's a book that expressly says college. Yeah, it just says college. <laughs> it just says college on it. And it is Bama. We're in Alabama. We are in, there's no doubt we are in Bama. They're driving past all this bumpkin shit. You know, there's a literal sign they drive by that says dirt for sale. Like, I love the dirt for sale. <laughs> sign. I just can't get past just how rubish it is. Don't know? forget about Travis Tritt. Way down south. Way down south. I, I love all of the big ornate houses they're driving by. The old plantation houses, no doubt. Yep. Yep. Good old Alabama. So the boys are hungry. They need to refuel. They pull into this convenience store called the Sack of Suds. The Sack of Suds. Describe the Sack of Suds the to me. The Sack of Suds is basically an old shack that they have converted into a convenience store. <laughs> Jimmy Willis is the clerk here at the Sack of Suds. Jimmy's got an attitude. Yeah, he's like, he knows he, you're not from around here, you know? like This was back in the days when if you wanted a Slurpee, you had to ask the attendant to get it for you because the <laughs> Slurpee machine was behind the counter. But Jimmy Willis doesn't even fill it halfway up. And they, they pay for their stuff and they leave. They get in their car and they leave. Everything's fine. They're driving away from the sack of suds. They're about a half mile down the road when Bill realizes because he was picking up cans off the shelves, he like ran out of hands. And he put this can of tuna in his pocket and he walked off with it. He didn't pay for it. And Stan loses it. The laws are medieval down here. You know what the minimum age for execution is in Alabama? What, 16? 10. 10. <laughs> this is also the first mention of the death penalty. There are many more to come. But they are obviously too New York to be where they are. Yeah, no. <laughs> Listen, every place has stereotypes. And unless you live there... It's hard to know which ones are real and which ones are fake. Exactly. Said the two Midwestern white kids. Exactly. I'm gonna, I, I, I have to try not to say exactly to everything you say. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that horrible moment when you look in the rearview mirror and you realize you're being followed by a police officer. But today, you know, we have the many lights. Apparently back in 1992, Alabama, you just have the one cylindrical light on the top of the cop card that's just... That's spun? Yeah, that's spun. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> Wee, woo. Wee woo. <laughs> Stan is nervous. And they think that it's going to be about the can of tuna because, you know, obviously they've shoplifted. Exactly. And the trooper gets out of the car and goes from zero to a million. Like literally kneels down with his rifle and is like, put your hands in the air. Show me your hands. Jesus. Show me your hands. Get him up. Get him up. Cut to the most ridiculous lineup I've ever seen in my life. Exactly. The heights range. Hold on, I got. I wrote this down. You better believe I wrote this down. Heights range from five foot three inches to six foot nine. Cut back to the crime scene. Jimmy Willis, the mouthy attendant, is laying in a pool of his own blood. 
and the lady that I can only assume whose name is Barb, with her purse and her nails, runs up to the sheriff and goes, I just heard that someone shot Jimmy Willis. He's dead. Oh my God. Who would do such a thing? Cut to babyface Ralph Macchio. Yeah. We're going to play a game right now. Yeah. I call this game, How Old is Ralph Macchio? <laughs> so this is 1992. This was the year I was born. Mm-hmm. 26 years ago. Yeah. How old do you think Ralph Macchio is in this movie? Ralph Macchio is probably... Mm, oh, he's got to be pushing 30. 30? Yeah. Okay, we're going to go with 30. Actual age in 1992, 31. Really? Yeah. I mean, he's a literal baby in The Outsiders, which is like 1978, 79, 80, something in there, I feel like. Sheriff Farley comes in, mustache first. That's another thing. Sheriff makes me laugh hysterically just by his appearance. Like He's asking Bill if he's made, been made aware of his rights, and, and Bill's like, yeah. Again, Bill thinks he's there for mm-hmm. stealing a can of tuna. Yeah. So he's like, so are you willing to cooperate fully? And Bill's like, Yes. So it's cutting back and forth between Bill and Stan's interrogation scenes. And it's clear that neither of them know why they're there. So they're just singing like canaries. They think they've been taken in for shoplifting this can of tuna. (laughs) And we've, you know, we find out from cutting back and forth that the store clerk has been shot and murdered since they've left the sack of suds. Yeah. And everybody thinks that these are the guys that did it Uh because they have witnesses. Yeah. We'll get to that later. Finally, Farley is trying to get him to say that he shot the clerk. And this is hilarious because... If you've seen one bad interrogation, you've seen them all. Let's talk about that for a moment. You paid for the groceries. And then what? We went out to the car, and that's it. When did you shoot him? What? At what point did you shoot the clerk? I shot the clerk. Yes, when did you shoot him? I shot the clerk. Hey, Dean, we need you out here. I'm in the middle of a damn confession here. Did these guys go to the Manitowoc three-day detective school? (laughs) Let's put these innocent kids in jail. Yeah. At what point did you shoot the clerk? And Bill goes, I shot the clerk? It's a question. Yeah. There's a question mark on the end of that. I shot the clerk. I shot the clerk. Like, he says it twice. (laughs) And then that's enough for Sheriff Farley. And he starts to leave the room, and Bill stands up in the most... He stands up in the most New York way. That's the only way I can (laughs) describe it. Whoa! Wait a minute! Oh, God. Oh, and here we are. The one phone call. Oh, my goodness, yes. Stan's parents are narratively useless, so they're like ambassadors to some country. They're in Chile. They're in Chile? Yeah, okay. yeah. Bill's like, well, I'll call my mother. And Bill <laughs> Bill acts the same way I would act if I called our mother to tell them that we'd been indicted for murder. And he handles her exactly the same way yes. I would handle her. Yes. Uh, not not too good, Ma. We, uh, we've been arrested. Ma, Ma, please. Ma, please. First of all, we didn't do it, all right? Murder. Ma, ma, please, ma, ma, it's a mistake. Ma, ma, ma. we've been arrested. Ma, ma. Yeah, 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 we need an attorney. And fortunately for them, they have an attorney in the family. What's his name? Vincent LaGuardia Gambini. Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei in a sexy ass car. And you're like, damn, we in Bama now. Like, like if 
there's this really loud music playing on the car radio. Like, picture a guy in the 80s with a boombox on his shoulder walking yeah. down the street. That's what's playing in the car radio. And screeching around the corner comes <laughs> Vincent LaGuardia Gambini and Mona Lisa Vito, everyone. I love Mona Lisa. She's my favorite. No, yeah. She's literally what makes the movie the movie. She's the hero. She's the hero of the movie, but we'll get to that. I will continue to bring this up, <laughs> and I, I'm glad you're not going to fight me on that. Because and she's the as they're rolling through the streets of Meacham or wherever it is they are here in Meacham <laughs> County, Alabama, all of the Alabamans are appalled by Vinny and Lisa's presence as they're driving through the streets in their nice car, in their all black, you know, leather outfits and their sunglasses. Oh. And then my favorite thing is when they finally get parked and they open the door, the boot, the literal cowboy boots that... <laughs> Than he has on. He's wearing cowboy boots because he thinks he's supposed to. Exactly. Like, he's I from guarantee- Brooklyn and he's like, I gotta look the plot if I'm gonna go down to Alabama. Lisa has brought her little pink Polaroid I love either. throughout the entire movie, her, like, this is like a vacation for her. Like, it she is. Does, she's working. You, you know Vinny never takes her out. Exactly, because they're in the shop all the time. They're in Vito's shop all the time when they're in Brooklyn yep. and they're working, so they're finally getting out. And she's got her little pink, you know, she's got her little pink disposable camera taking pictures of everything. Just like, can we talk about Marissa Tomei and just how fucking gorgeous she is? Like, Marissa Tomei, every outfit she has in this fucking slays. I think the outfits are supposed to be a sight gag for us about how tasteless she is, but it's having the exact opposite Because effect. I think that's so in taste. She looks like a million bucks in every single scene. If I saw somebody wearing what she wears in this movie out and about, I'd follow them. Whoa. Sorry. That's a little <laughs> stocky, isn't it? Not okay. Not okay. But also valuable as a character. So this yokel comes over to them while they're checking the tires. He tries to explain to them the concept of mud in the tires. <laughs> and then he's like, how does one have mud in their tires? Oh, but he, tr- this is my favorite. He turns and he looks at Lisa and he goes, you ever heard of that? Mud in the tires? And she's like, no. <laughs> That's stupid. And she's an expert on cars. No, he turns to the man and he's like, she never heard it. She knows everything about cars. <laughs> and that Jagoff laughs. Exactly. Because she's a woman. Because she's a woman and it's 1992. Your sexism shall cost you dearly. <laughs> so the boys are transferred to a state correctional facility. The state penitentiary looks like purgatory on the inside. Well, like... I'm sure it's the fucking Hyatt compared to the county jail, which was like flooded or something, which I mean, is why they had to go there in the first place. They're literally operating a death chamber in there. It's literally purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> It's not funny, it's sad. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta laugh or you'll cry. I know. This is another mention of the death penalty, because outside the prison is this group of protesters who are protesting the execution of this guy named Norton. They're holding big white signs that say, let Norton live, let Norton live. They're walking Stan and Bill along with their, you know, their sheets and their uniforms, and everybody's, you know, fresh meat, everybody's banging on. This is my least favorite part of the movie. I would like to gloss over it as quickly as possible. Well, I mean, at least they get their own cell, right? Right. Which also is a bunch of crap. That would never happen. In no world would those boys be housed together in the same cell, even in the same penitentiary. Back to the Orange is the New Black. How are Alex and Piper in the same prison? I don't know. But like... (laughs) You're going to make a lot of Orange is the New Black references. I feel it coming. You know what I love? 
when Vinny gets shown to their cell, he tips the guard. <laughs> yeah, he bribed him to get back there. Do you think that's proper quarters to interview a client? Oh, is that what's happening? Yes. I he... guess I didn't realize that. I thought he was just being good old Vin. <laughs> and... No, Ross, he's committing a crime. He's bribing a <laughs> he's bribing a state employee. Yeah. Vinny comes to visit them in jail. We're getting a rundown of Vinny's CV, his resume. Ross, would you like to tell us some of the things that are on his resume? Uh, Vinny is a personal injury attorney <laughs> who has, first of all, passed the bar only six weeks ago. Yes. After having taken it six different times. <laughs> He's failed it five times before. He's never been in a courtroom. He's <laughs> never had an actual murder trial before. Never tried a case. Forget a murder trial. He's never tried a case. Yeah. And like... The boys don't say it, but you can see it in their eyes. We're fucked. You know, to be honest with you, I, um, I didn't pass my first time out. That's okay. He probably passed a second time, right? I'm afraid not. Three times a charm? Not for me, it isn't. Nope. For me, six times was a charm. <laughs> six times. tells this later, you know, he only went to the Brooklyn Academy of Law, mm -hmm. which is not the most accredited law school in the United States. We love you, though, Brooklyn. We it's love okay. you, Brooklyn Academy. How long have you been practicing? Almost six weeks. <laughs> he says it so nonchalant. He is so just, like, matter-of-fact about this. He does not seem to have any sense of urgency. He's just like, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, Vinny, could you give a fuck for two seconds? Yeah, like, he's two just, young boys' lives hang in the balance. He's just, like, deadpan. Mm, yeah, I don't have a lot of experience. Probably against their better judgment. Mm -hmm. They go ahead and hire Vinny. They're going to hire Vinny, I think, on a probationary basis. The boys aren't the only ones that he has to convince. We have to go to the chambers of Judge, Judge Chamberlain, Chamberlain Haller. Haller. Fred Gwynn! Herman Munster, everyone, your favorite Alabama justice of the peace. <laughs> well, I'm not about to revamp the entire judicial process just because you find yourself in the unique position of defending clients who say they didn't do it. If you're a Stephen King fan, you'll recognize him from the original Pet Cemetery. Played That's right. Yes, he played Judd. He was the one that told Lewis, don't go up that rod. <laughs> Don't go down that there road. Yeah. If you watch South Park, that's where that comes from. <laughs> Is it Fred Gwynn's final film appearance? God bless him. It's his final He passed away in like 93, so yeah. Yeah. Haller can smell the bullshit on Vinny immediately. And he's like, you... You know why? Because when he comes in the room, Vinny has his fucking feet. feet on the desk. He does have his feet on the desk. Like, I would hate that person on sight. Get your fucking feet off my desk. And Vinny lies through his teeth to Judge Haller about his experience. Yep, and he makes up some bullshit. You ever heard of the son of Sam? Fella who received orders to kill from a dog? That one. You defended him? Well, no, not exactly. I, uh, I defended the first guy they arrested. And, uh... He was found innocent and set free, and uh, they caught the real guy. Holler has no time for his shit. Yeah. Listen, we're not just a bunch of bumpkins up here. Yeah, he literally gets right down to business. I tell you this because I want you to know that when it comes to procedure, I'm not a patient man. I advise you, sir, when you come into my courtroom, you ought to know the letter of the law. I'll react harshly when you don't. You damn yank, we got this shit. Don't make any moves. <laughs> you know, 
We practice the same law down here. We follow the letter of the law. He's just making my ass leak the whole time. <laughs> and I'm like... You're not in trouble. You're not the one in trouble. Vinny. I know, but it's Fred Gwynn is a very good command of the screen, you know? He's enormous. I know, right? Yeah. What? Okay, hold on. We're going to do this right now. We're, we're going to look up how tall Fred Gwynn was. Okay. okay. Six foot five. Wow. That's tall, ladies and gentlemen. Judge Haller puts Vinny in his place, and then we go to Lisa and Vinny driving themselves in to the General Putnam Motel. No, Stand By Your Man is playing on the radio. It's a little on the nose. The whole movie, Lisa is asking for ways to help Vinny. And Vinny's like, I got this. This is me. I've got to prove myself. Lisa's just trying to be a part of his life, and he's giving her one-word answers. Exactly. I'm very interested in how... Like, this is some backstory I want. I want to know how Vinny and Lisa got together. My, I feel like that would be an interesting story. I bet Vinny was a grease monkey that got hired in her father's garage. Mm -hmm. And uh, seeing as how he's obviously a little older than her, he was probably a young punk and she was probably like a mouthy little 14-year-old. Mm -hmm. And he was probably a little inappropriate with her. And then the moment she turned 18, they were an item. <laughs> you, you hope that's what happens. Yeah, you're hoping that's what happens. <laughs> they get to sleep after a while, right? Mm-hmm. And it's dead silent, right? This is my favorite running They're gag. They're fast asleep. And then all of a sudden... <laughs> what the fuck is that? Joe Pesci sits right up. Then he sits right up and goes, What the fuck is that? <laughs> The next morning, they walk into this diner. Marissa Tomei is dressed to kill. I know. Is this the white jacket with the black accents? Yes, I believe it oh, is. Oh, I would wear the shit out of that jacket. And, you know, there's one dude behind the counter in this diner, you know, whipping things up. Do you remember the menu? I bet you have the menu memorized. I do. Tell me what it Breakfast, is. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way Joe Pesci's looking at her going, uh, breakfast good? Breakfast good? Yeah. She's like... Yeah. Two breakfasts. Two. <laughs> Two. I just love the the guy behind the counter taking the straight lump of lard and throwing it on the grill. It makes my heart hiccup, just the sight of it. Oh, and then we have to learn what a grit is because it will become very important later. What is a grit anyways? It's made out of corn. Them hominy grits. How do you cook it? Well, you simmer it in water for 15 or 20 minutes, put it on the plate and add butter. <laughs> so, you gonna eat it or not? What is a grit? I still don't know what it is. It's corn. I know it's corn, yeah. but like, why would anyone put this in their body? It's like cornmeal. And the guy explains to Vinny, you know, it takes about 20 minutes. You steam it so it gets nice and soupy. Ugh. Yeah, I know. People hate grits. Lisa takes a picture of him with her camera. Yeah, she's like, ooh, it's Vinny eating grits. Because <laughs> we're in Alabama. He's terrible to her, but I think they're adorable. Because you know she's not taking his shit lying down for one second. Yeah. She's just trying to be supportive throughout the whole movie. So after breakfast, we've got the first day in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then here comes Jim Trotter. Jim Trotter the third. It's your attorney here. I am the attorney. Oh, Jim Trotter the third. District attorney, Beecham County. Vincent LaGuardia Gambini. First, Brooklyn. Jim Trotter looks like a fucking Hummel doll. He thinks Minnie is the defendant. Uh, is your lawyer present? I am the lawyer. Because Vinny literally walks right in, puts his briefcase on the table, and sits on the defense table. <laughs> like he's so And he's punk. swinging his legs back and forth like a little kid. 
And then Jim Trotter in his nice gray suit and his... And his southern foghorn leghorn accent. Uh-huh. Jim Trotter looks like he's never wanted for shit, you know? like Exactly. All that white privilege that you can handle. Soak it up. Soak it Soak up. Soak it up. Soak it up. Vinny is me on every single first day of work I've ever had. Vinny's trying to copy everything that Trotter's doing. Mm-hmm. Trotter fusses with his papers. Vinny fusses with his papers. He's like taking things in and out of the briefcase for no reason. He wants to look like he's doing something because he literally has no idea what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's truly distressing. <laughs> These boys could die. They could. If you watch a lot of courtroom dramas, you know exactly where we are. We're at arraignment. This is the point in the legal process where... You've been arrested, you've been charged, and now you have to enter a plea and the judge will decide on bail, whether or not you can be released on your own recognizance or if you have to be held without bail. Mm -hmm. So listen to me. (laughs) Yes, you're a little legal expert over here. I went to the law school of Netflix. (laughs) Thank you very much. Haven't we all? I've seen so many true crime documentaries. Haller is immediately not having Vinny shit. He immediately starts picking at everything. The way he's dressed, the way he's talking. Like, he's not going to give him a single chance. Well, first of all, he doesn't stand to address him, which is super rude. Exactly, which you should do, but Vinny doesn't know what he's doing. Your clients are charged with first-degree murder. How they plead? Ayana, my client... Don't talk to me sitting in that chair. He told me to sit here. (laughs) He points at Trotter. Like, it's not his fault. <laughs> it's not my fault, Yorani. Told me to sit you. Holler asks him for the millionth time to enter a plea of guilty or not guilty, and he still tries to explain, and I need this in gift form. Holler goes, There are only two ways to answer it, guilty or not guilty. Your Honor, my clients didn't do anything. Once again, the communication process is broken down. <laughs> it just puts his hands together, and it's just, you're right, it's a very gifable moment, you know? <laughs> is trying to explain to him like the next words out he goes the next words out of your mouth better be guilty or not guilty i don't want to hear commentary argument or opinion if i hear anything other than guilty or not guilty you'll be in contempt i don't even want to hear you clear your throat i hope i've been clear so long story short bail is set Preliminary hearing is scheduled for the next day. And yeah, Haller finds sufficient evidence, you know, to charge Stan and Bill with the murder. He sets their bail at $200,000. Remember the lawyer they already can't afford. Yeah, and for Vinny, for his contempt of court charge, he is given $200. (laughs) And then, oop, they're on the bus. (laughs) And they're going to the Alabama State Penitentiary. Could you imagine? You're on trial for murder. You're being transported back to the facility. Your lawyer is in the seat across the aisle. (laughs) And I love that on the way to the jail, Vinny is beep bopping. He's tapping his hands on the seat in front of him and he's whistling like nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. (laughs) He's just going somewhere. And Stan and Bill are just turned around to him just with these uh, expressions on their faces, you know. So Lisa bails Vinny out of jail for the first time. Yes. There will be more. This is bail number one. And this is the first, this is not only another instance of the uh, death penalty being mentioned, but this is like Lisa's first real hero moment. She like really says the thesis of the movie. I'm going to nuke this guy Norton this weekend. Looks like it. You got one huge responsibility taking on this murder case. You screw up and those boys get fried. You screw up and those boys get fried. I love that. Yeah. In 
incre- she is incredulous that he's just gonna wing it. Yeah, she's like, what are you doing here? Like, <laughs> snapshot to remember your failure. <laughs> this is also where she decides to tell him that she's been hustled. She's been stiffed because she tries to. Oh no, she was doing the hustling. She explains to Vinny how she got the money for his bail. Yes. All right, there is one problem. We can't afford to keep bailing you out. I already cashed in half the traveler's checks. I didn't want to cash them in, but I didn't want to bounce a check, so I tried hustling the money, but I got stiffed, so I had to cash in the traveler's Oh, checks. what do you mean you got stiffed? Did you say you got stiffed? And we cut to the pool and chicken. <laughs> I, there's not a bar in this country that I would not be more out of place in. Remember that time I called you and said, when I tell you I'm in a honky-tonk? <laughs> Some bar in Indianapolis, you were like, I am in a honky-tonk. Dukes and Indy, go check them out, see how they're doing. <laughs> it's in the middle of a bunch of warehouses on the south side of Indy. Enjoy. <laughs> and Lisa and Vinny walk right in. Everybody's in their plaid, their hats. They're playing pool, drinking beers, all that country music's playing in the background. Everything comes to a screeching halt. And they walk right in, and they're all leather, black hair, black dress, and sunglasses. <laughs> You can literally hear the record scratch as they stop the music when they enter. Lisa, with her pinky, points out JT. Like, yes. that's the guy. That's the guy that stiffed me on the money. And so Vinny walks up to JT, and they begin to argue about the money. I believe you and Lisa played a game of pool for $200, which she won. I'm here to collect. How about if I just kick your ass? Oh, a counter offer. That's what we lawyers, I'm a lawyer, we lawyers call that a counteroffer. Dad loves that. Like, when I'm like, how about if I mow the lawn later, Dad? And he's like, ooh, a counteroffer. That's what we lawyers, I'm a lawyer, call counteroffers. <laughs> he's like, what if I were to kick the living shit out of you? And he's like, in your dreams. And oh, I no, 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 in reality. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's so funny. There's a guy there in a neck brace, and Vinny's like, did you fall in your place or somebody else's? My place. Damn. <laughs> and I love that that character's name is Neck Brace. That is that character. JTN Neck Brace. Those J are their names. <laughs> Sounds like a comedy duo from the 90s. <laughs> JTN Neck Brace on the morning drive. So we cut to the penitentiary basketball court. Stan is trying to tell Bill, we're going to be seriously fucked if we don't do something. Your cousin doesn't know what he's doing. Like, we're going to go away. The judge said all he had to do was say guilty or not guilty. I mean, we could have done that. So, what are you saying? What am I saying? You saw what happened in there. You want to stay with him after that? Shit, Stan, I don't want to fire him. He's family. You know, and my mother, the way I health is right now. And I just love... How the entirety of the movie, Bill loves Vinny so much. Bill does never give, almost never gives up on Vinny. He doesn't, he want you know, because that's the thing. It's Ralph Macchio, and Ralph Macchio's very sweet, you know, like. He loves his family. Exactly. Like, Bill is such a sweetheart, like, he doesn't want to give up on Vinny. Back, back where they come from in Brooklyn, family means something, you know, despite the fact that he's ruining it. <laughs> Stan is feeling so desperate that Stan wants to try out the court-appointed attorney. Yeah, the public defender. Public defender, that's what it was. I yeah. couldn't think of it. He wants to go with the public defender. Public defenders are overworked, underpaid, overwhelmed individuals. So that says a lot about Vinny. Yeah. People who get, like, thrown in jail for things they didn't do, sometimes it happens because a public defender, an overworked public defender who was not experienced enough or had too many cases, you know, they don't pay enough attention. And people go to jail for that reason all the time. Yeah. It's kind of heartbreaking. 
Bill is here to reassure him. He insists that he comes from a family of arguers. What did my parents always say that I should have been? A lawyer. They said, yes, <laughs> mom and dad have always said that you, Carrie Ann, should be a lawyer. Yes. Because you love to fucking argue. I could argue with you about what color the sky is, X, Y, Z, that's all. The and she'll have reasons. Believe me, she'll have reasons. <laughs> Whatever they fucking may be. <laughs> You can't win with this bitch. Like, the scene with the faucet that comes next is a scene right out of my relationship. Like, this is foreplay for them. The way they're arguing with each other. I know! And it's just because they literally just, like... Because Vinny's trying to read, and he can hear the drip, drip, drip of the faucet in the hotel room sink. He's like, I want you to last one and use the bathroom. So... Well, did you use the faucet? Yeah. Well, why don't you turn it off? I did turn it off. Well, if you turned it off, why am I listening to it? And that's when they start to get, like, weird. hot. Like, they... like they're, getting, <laughs> they're getting closer to each other. It's really weird. I, I twisted it just right. And now they're talking about the type of wrench they were supposed to use. And she's, like, talking about this. I love when she's talking about this wrench. And she's like, and I got that right kind of wrench because I want it to be dead on balls accurate. And that's the moment, like, when they were, when they start to kiss, I looked it up, because, like, Joe Pesci's got to be way older than she is. And then I was like, ew, he, oh. like, was finishing college when she was born. But, you know, <laughs> but, you Did know, Joe Pesci go to college? I honestly don't know, but probably not. <laughs> you know what would just truly shock me to my foundation? Mm. If we found out he went to Juilliard. It's not true. I'm not yeah, gonna, no, yeah. I'm not going to look it up. I think we need to look it up. Don't but, look at me like that. I mean, I think Joe Pesci's first claim to fame was getting the Four Seasons together. Like the hotel? The band? The band. I'm confused. Did you not know about this? No, tell Have me. you never seen Jersey Boys? I guess not. Jersey Boys the musical? No. Okay, I've never actually seen Jersey Boys on stage, but I've seen the film that they made based on the Broadway musical. The film is... Okay, it's not the best film I've ever seen. But, you know, the way that the Four Seasons started, you know, Frankie Valli and the rest of them. Because I don't know any of the other names. Oh. Joe Pesci was great friends with all of them. They were all from the same town in New Jersey. Joe Pesci knows they all had great voices and he got them together. I'm astounded. Yeah. When Joe Pesci was a young man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I... Joe Pesci and Frankie Valli are tight. They're really good friends. Okay. We're back in court, aren't we? Yeah, there's a series of scenes where during this preliminary hearing, Trotter is presenting all of his witnesses that say they saw Bill and Stan go into the sack of suds and then run out like the Dickens. Mm -hmm. I think I'm quoting somebody there. These three witnesses are Mrs. Constance Riley, Samuel Tipton, and Mr. Ernie Crane. I love Mrs. Riley. I do love Mrs. Riley. She's on the wrong side here, but she's very sweet and old. She doesn't know she's on the wrong side. Then I heard two loud bangs, like firecrackers. I looked up and saw two young men run out from the sack of suds and jump into a green car with a white convertible top and drive off like the Dickens. Like... So Mrs. Riley was sitting on her porch. She lives across the street from the sack of suds. Mm -hmm. We're not going to go into a full-blown crime scene reconstruction here, but she says that she saw the boys go into the sack of suds and says they came out after the shot rang out. Samuel Tipton, who was making breakfast and could see the sack of suds from his window. I saw them two boys go into the store. Then later I heard a gunshot. Looked out the window. 
They was running out, got into the car, and drove off. The third guy, I don't think we get a name. I can only assume. Ernie Crane. I thought his name was like Cletus or something. Ernie Crane, who says he saw it go down inside his house, which is right next door to the sack of suds. Okay. All right. So that's our beauty pageant of witnesses. Yes. Those are the prosecution's three key witnesses placing Stan and Bill at the sack of suds at the time of the shooting. And finally, Farley reads back Bill's statement. I asked him if he did it. And he said, I shot the clerk. I asked him again. And again, he said... I shot the clerk. You idiots! There's a question mark there! Yeah, I shot the clerk. I shot the clerk. You know, it, you know, this is fiction, but at the same time, I find myself thinking this all the time. Like, how did we get here? How, how are these boys even remotely close to being in prison forever? <laughs> and I can hardly listen to Trotter speak. Like, he's just got this very... You and I as thick as Louisiana backsplat molasses on a stack of Johnny cakes as high as an elephant's knee. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just can't. He, he's so condescending. He, he sounds like he's got honey in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> or that, you know, Jim Crow is sleeping very gently on his tongue. <laughs> and, you know... Oh, but Chamberlain Holler asks Vinny, do you have any questions for these witnesses? And Vinny says, no! Vinny, come on. <laughs> Can you treat this like it matters? Yeah. But then Holler says, didn't I tell you next time you were in my courtroom, you were going to be dressed appropriately? And then just looks him dead in the face and goes, you were serious about that? <laughs> Cut immediately to him on the bus on the way back to the penitentiary for the second count of contempt of court. Stan is freaking out because Stan, I'm willing to bet, has known a lawyer or two in life. Why didn't you ask him any questions? Questions? Excellent questions. You knew you could ask questions, didn't you, Ben? You can hear it in Bill's voice. He's like, have I, have I killed us both? Yeah, Have yeah. I made a serious error in judgment? Mm -hmm. The poor thing. Vinny is still, not only is he nonchalant, but he's telling Bill and Stan they need to calm down. And Vinny looks at him and he's like, Hey, Stan, you're an Alabama. You come from New York. You killed a good old boy. There is no way this is not going to trial. He's not trying hard enough, but at the same time, he knows. Yeah, he yeah. knows what we know. He knows what, kind of what he's up against, but at the same time, he's just like, you two gotta realize. <laughs> <laughs> you better recognize. And then, you know, we see him get let out of jail for the second time after Lisa bails him out again. And once again, Lisa is all of us. Yeah, she's like tearing him down. He's like, you know, you're supposed to be the woman by my side. Like, how about a little encouragement, huh? And she's like... Oh, you want me to be encouraging? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah, no, you're a smooth talker. You are. You are. <laughs> like, I love that line. She's like, I'm not here to coddle you. Exactly. I'm here to tell you that you're screwing this up. Exactly. Because of the noise from the sawmill steam whistle, we've moved on to the Parker Hotel. <laughs> How do you know all the names of these places? I paid attention. I wrote them down. Oh, okay. Gold star it's for you. It's setting. This is where Vinny really starts to kind of get it. Yeah. And she, you know, she's, you know, Lisa's combing her hair and she comes and sits next to Vin and Vin just shuts his book and he's like, I gotta be honest with you. I'm really a scared. <laughs> he says, a scared. <laughs> I'm really a scared. And then I just love her. You should be. She's not sugarcoating this for him. She's 
<laughs> she's not and i love her for it like Vinny, lives are on the line like you yeah. need to take this seriously and this is kind of where he realizes that mm, i thought i could do this be big man i can win the case i'll take it i am living uh, for your joe pesci impression it needs work but you know lisa actually does give him a little encouragement she's like you know you Vinny, you, you Vinny gambini you know you can do anything you're so sweet lisa and then you know they go to bed and then nice and quiet and then all of the pigs and the swine that are screaming across the street because he runs out on the balcony and what is right across the street a slaughterhouse parker's pork products Can you imagine waking up to the sound of pigs screaming? Paris, have the pigs stop screaming. (laughs) Oh my god, that was so creepy. Quid pro quo, yes or no? So cut to the prison. We're in the cell. Stan is trying to convince Bill to go with the public defender. Mm -hmm. And Bill still doesn't want to give up on Vinny. Yeah, he's such a... He's so adorable. Mm -hmm. So Bill is considering the public defender, but for now, the public defender is going to represent Stan on a probationary basis during during like that first day of trial or whatever. And I think that's when Stan's going to decide. The concept of the electric chair is just terrifying. Like they're explaining... I I don't know if it's the guard explaining it to the both of them, but he's just like... That's death row in there. It is? The chair ain't working like it used to. The guy we fried last week took us three attempts and his head caught fire. See, there's no money in budget to get it looked at. I say it'd be cheaper to get it fixed and keep running up them extra electric bills. Oh my god! Like, that, yeah. like he's describing a scene from the Green Mile. Like, yeah. oh, it's so horrible. Bill's like trying to convince Stan, and he's just like talking about all the special ways that Vinny is. You know, like that's just Vinny. Just Vinny being himself can get you out of anything. Or when he talks about a family member who would always do card tricks or magic tricks or something, and Vinny was always the one who'd be like, he's palming it, you know, he's got it in his other hand, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's always the one calling it out, and he's trying me to... A, literally me at a magic show. Speaking of public defenders... Austin Pendleton playing... <laughs> Is that his name? Yeah, Austin Pendleton playing public defender John Gibbons. My name is John Gibbons, and I'm... Um... An attorney in the public defender's office. Now, the evidence against you is pretty strong. So, um, why don't you just tell me your side of the story? I've seen Austin Pendleton in a few short subjects. I know that he... Austin Pendleton has definitely played a live-action version of Mortimer Snurd. Is that right? Yeah. He looks the He part. looks like Mortimer Snurd, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he's also weirdly Santa Claus in Christmas with the Cranks. Like, he's that weird guy that keeps following Nora around in public places. Oh my god, I remember that Yeah, now. and then he ends up being Santa in the end, and you're like, the fuck? He played a sexual predator on an episode of Law & Order SVU. Of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. If you are on IMDb, you have been in Law & Order. 
And, sorry, Austin Pendleton just kind of makes me uncomfortable in general. Like, not even just in this role particularly. He's, He's got just got this Mr. Rogers way of making me uncomfortable, you know? Mr. Rogers made you uncomfortable? He does now. Oh! Back in the day, it was very soothing. But now it's just like, you're too nice. Oh! You're you know? suspicious of people when they're too nice to you? Hello there, neighbor. <laughs> Welcome again to this neighborhood. Would you like some lemonade? I didn't put anything in it, I promise. Stop it. That's, you know, that's the kind of vibe I get. Fred Rogers is a wonderful man, <laughs> wonderful public servant. Pre Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian minister, y'all. We can't use any of this. Um, I'm sorry, I'm getting off topic. <laughs> Bill explains to Vinny that they're going to go with the public defender. Mm -hmm. And Vinny uses this weird metaphor about a playing card and a magic trick to explain why he should allow Bill to let him question the first witness. Yes. I'll let him explain it. He's going to show you the bricks. He'll show you they got straight sides. He'll show you how they got the right shape. He showed them to you in a very special way so that they appear to have everything a brick should have. But there's one thing he's not going to show you. When you look at the bricks at the right angle, they're as thin as this playing card. His whole case is an illusion, a magic trick. It has to be an illusion. Because you're innocent. I want to talk about this magic trick for like six minutes. <laughs> we won't, but like forever. I want to talk about this forever. I watched that three times and I slowed it. This is another reason it took me four hours to watch this movie. I slowed that down. I paused it, went frame by frame. Because when he turns the card over, it's a different card. He's got two cards in his hand of that much, I'm certain. You can kind of see it. But if there is a switch happening, I can't tell where it's happening. Mm -hmm. And if there's a cut, I don't see it at all. So it's like butter smooth. He's like, it should be, cause you're innocent. And he flips it over and it's a joker. And I'm like, how did you do that? And I love how that ties in with what Bill was talking about with Vinny calling out card tricksters. Yeah, like, yeah, like it all makes sense. But frankly, it's it's just a little bit much. Yeah. Because what happens is Bill goes back to Stan and Stan's like, he thinks you should give it to him? What was he before he was a lawyer? A fucking comedian? Like, I'm with Stan. He thinks you should give it to him? That's not a good reason. Yeah. Like, that's not a good reason to put my life on the line. Now we're in the hotel. Another hotel. This is the third hotel. The third hotel. Vinny pulls up outside the hotel. And who's at the other side of the street? JT and Neckbrace. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Hey, hey, little Yankee boy. Look here what I got. What is it? $200. And Vinny, like a proper thug, demands to see the money first. How do I know that's not a bunch of ones with a 20 wrapped around it? It's 200 bucks. Fan it out. Show it to me. Fan, Fan it, it out. out. Show, show it to me. me. You know, like... <laughs> that's right, kids. You ask for receipts. JT knows he's been caught, so he's just like... So that goes on. That We live to fight another day. And now we're in the third hotel, which I... You can't get a name on. It just says hotel on the side. Does it really also, matter? Also, how big is this town? <laughs> like, why do they have... I understand the one motel and the one hotel, but a second hotel? They must be in Meacham County seat. I don't know. I love that they're, they're in bed. Once again, dead quiet. And then everything starts fucking shaking. And you can hear the rumbling and then the train horns. <laughs> 
and you hear the lights outside going ding, 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 ding. Lisa and Le- starts laughing. Lisa looks up at the ceiling and she just starts smiling and cracking up because <laughs> they can never have any goddamn peace and quiet. She's like, this would happen. And as things are falling down and breaking off the walls and the tables, she's just laughing and, and holding Vinny. And then she's like, Vinny comes out the next morning and asks the he asks the clerk, does that train always come through at 5.30 in the morning? No, sir. Very unusual. That's it. We go, That's about, it. <laughs> we go about our day. Put that, a pin in that. That'll come back. Vinny thinks that if he becomes buddies with Trotter, then Trotter's going to like give him all this information. Yeah, like, he fundamentally does not understand how due process works. For like, those of you who definitely do not, when you are an attorney defending someone in a criminal trial, you are entitled to basic discovery. All of the evidence available to the prosecution, if material, has to be made available to the defendant. That's just, that's law. But Vincent LaGuardia Gambini doesn't know that. Trotter's explaining that he was basically an attorney who got, he's kind of like Kathleen Zellner. He was an attorney who got tired of defending the bad guy. Yeah. And he becomes a prosecutor. Yeah. This is where Vinny explains to Trotter how he got involved with the law, which is, as he explains it, he got a, quote, bullshit traffic ticket, and he went to court, and he argued with the cop on the stand until he admitted he was wrong. And the judge really took a liking to him, Judge Malloy, and he became kind of his mentor. I never thought of becoming a lawyer, but this Judge Malloy was from Brooklyn, too. I mean, he did it. So all of a sudden, it seemed possible. So I went to law school. And from time to time, he would come by see how I was doing if I needed anything. He was a nice man. I mean, to go out of his way like that for me, you know? In an effort to get on Trotter's good side, what are they going to go do together? He's going to go hunting with Jim Trotter. Ugh. Like, can you imagine just squatted in the backwoods of Alabama? Yeah. Vinny's like, ah, yeah, I'm going to finesse him. He's like, what if I could get a look at all his files? He's going to try and cozy up to Trotter so he'll, like, let the files slip, you know? Yeah. Just let thousands of pages of discovery just fall out of your pocket. Yeah. Like, again, we're in hotel number three. He's explaining to Lisa what they're going to go do. Lisa is not having it. She's not. She's fundamentally against the idea of hunting anything. I wrote down the deer conversation. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to shoot a deer? I don't know. I suppose. I mean, I'm a man's man. I could go deer hunting. A sweet, innocent, harmless, leaf-eating, doe-eyed little deer. And gonna sh- she's incredulous. And Vinny is concerned the whole time, like, I have nothing to wear. I have nothing to wear to go hunting in. You know? She can't even look at him. She goes in the bathroom, slams the door, and he's like, Hey, what about these pants that I got on? You think they'll work? Yo! <laughs> he thinks that the deer are going to care about what he's wearing. And Lisa walks right up to him. With Lisa's best line. Imagine you're a deer. You're prancing along. You get thirsty. You spot a little brook. You put your little deer lips down to the cool, clear water. Bam! A fucking bullet rips off part of your head. Your brains are laying on the ground in little bloody pieces. Now I ask you, would you give a fuck what kind of pants the son of a bitch who shot you was wearing? She says axe. Yeah. I ax ya. Now I ax ya. I yeah. ax ya. <laughs> and Vinny's face is exactly my just face. Just like, like when she goes, bam, a, a bullet rips off your fucking head. Just the way his eyes widen. Like, Do you think he knew she was going to yell like that? Maybe it was like, I, I honestly think that's a natural reaction from Joe Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> when she's like, he's just, he's just like, <gasps> you know, like, <laughs> don't cut guys. Don't cut. Watch the movie. When you see his face, you're just like, is that a natural reaction? God. And so we don't really see the hunting bit, do we? 
No, be- like we kind of go. We, we, we go- see them in the truck going to go hunting. Yeah, right? and then he like, I wish I could get a look at your files. Like, <laughs> and then yeah. he's not even doing a good job. And Trotter's like, You got Xerox machine over there? Uh, no. Oh, that's okay. I'll have a secretary do it. Shirley, can you Xerox all the files on the Gambini Rothenstein case from Mr. Gambini? Thank you, sweetie. Hangs up the phone, and while he's on the phone, Vinny's just got this look on his face like, I'm in. That was easy as pie. And, you know, he walks back up in the hotel with his box of records that he's gotten from Trotter's office. But wait a minute. I don't think they're in the hotel this point. I think they've moved into Trotter's cabin at this point. Because he, they're like, we're going to go to Trotter's cabin. He sleeps like a baby when he's there. Yeah, because we have to move away from the uh, train stop hotel that they're by. Uh... Oh, I can't believe we forgot about that. The second morning, the train whistle happens at like 4 a.m. Yeah. And he comes out there and he's like, ding, 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 It just ding, starts ding. ringing the bell until he comes out. Yesterday, you told me that freight train hardly ever comes through here at 5 a.m. in the morning. I know. She's supposed to come through at 10 after 4. He calls it she. He goes, <laughs> she usually gets in around 10 after 4. <laughs> and then he's just like... And he just doesn't say anything and just walks away. He's too tired to argue. He can't. Then he returns with an unearned sense of accomplishment. Yeah, he's he like, got these files in his he, box. He thinks he's a smooth operator. He comes in. Lisa has that tome of a law book like open on her lap. She's reading. He's like, I finessed him. That's very impressive finessing. <laughs> and like, she's reading this book and he's like, he takes it from her. Yeah, he's like, LOL, don't read this book, you woman. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, look, like, exactly. Yeah. And he's going to let the whole thing lie. And Lisa is not. Yeah. And she gets up like on her knees, like in attack position. Yeah. And she's like, Don't you want to know why Trotter gave you his files? I told you why already. He has to. By law, you're entitled. It's called disclosure, you dickhead. He has to show you everything. Otherwise, it could be a mistrial. He has to give you a list of all his witnesses. You can talk to all his witnesses. He's not allowed any surprises. He thinks he's done this through his own wit and character, you know? Like, he thinks he smooth-talked that oh, hick. Oh, smooth-talker. You are. You are. <laughs> like, she's been here five minutes. Yeah. She, I don't know how long this whole camping excursion was or whatever, but he's been gone all day. She's been reading this book all day. She already knows everything he's supposed she to know. She knows more about the law than he does at this point. Like, isn't that infuriating? She's the answer to all of the problems, and she's there the entire time. Listen, this movie can't pass the Bechtel test to save its life. She's the only real female character. Yeah. Aside from... Mrs. Riley. Exactly. But I almost don't mind because she's framed as being a very ornamental character. She's flashy. She's gorgeous. She's a loudmouth. She's the smartest person here, though. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. The sound of me clapping. Clapping emoji. She's the smartest person person here. As usually is the case Um, with women in film. But I love how she got to turn that around on him. Yes. And femsplain. Yeah. I'm using air quotes. Femsplain. Disclosure to him. It's like you see the light bulb go on and over Vinny's head. Suddenly now he can do this because there's a montage of scenes of him talking to all of Trotter's witnesses. Mm -hmm. We're only going to talk about, we're going to breeze through jury selection very quickly because again, this is just another mention of the, of the death penalty because Trotter is actively trying to put people on the jury who are in one in favor of the death penalty and would be comfortable with a death penalty sentence in this particular case. This one lady was like, I think it should be left up to the victim's families what to decide to do Mm -hmm. when they're 
family member is slain. To and- which Trotter just proceeds to explain, you know, Tr- what a horrific crime these two boys have committed. He says heinous. Yeah. And, this but- hyenas crime. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's a herd of hyenas yeah. racing towards us. Hyenas crime. Sorry. That joke, <laughs> yeah, that. that joke was better in my head. Yeah. But then she's like, Frime. Frime. He's like, she'll do. Prosecutors pick jury members who will help them win the case. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad for a fair trial. It's bad for the defendant. You know, everybody's entitled to a fair trial. But Like, we'd like to think that our jury panels are selected at random, but... They really aren't. This next scene is important. Yeah, like, we, we go into Haller's chambers, and why is he fucking playing chess with himself, smoking a cigarette? Like Because he was probably one of those kids that didn't have any friends. Yeah, probably. And had to play chess with He was the himself. weird tall kid. He was that kid that was, like, wanted to be the hall monitor, and, like, was really rulesy. Then he goes into Haller's chambers. Haller is telling him... I just got a fax from the New York State Office of Judicial Records. If they have no records of any Vincent Gambini ever trying any case in the entire state of New York. Then he's like, oh, I'm caught. Like, like, oh shit, I didn't think you were going to do this, you know. I have in my notes, Vinny is explaining, and then I drew a line through it, lying. <laughs> that when he was in New York, he went by Jerry Gallo, because there was already an actor there who went by Vincent Gambini. I can't believe that I Fred... can't believe he bought it. I cannot believe he bought it. By the way, this is an age before, like, a simple Google search would clear up any misconception about somebody's identity. He had to go, like, through paper records. Yeah, can you imagine that? For the entire state of New York. How times have changed since you were born. Well, like, I'm sure that he didn't go through it. I'm sure he paid a nice little Shirley to do it. Yeah. <laughs> like one of the Shirleys. One of the Shirleys. Then he leaves. He thinks he's, you know, gotten himself out of trouble again. He's explaining to Lisa what he's done. And what name did you tell him? Jeffrey Gallo. Jerry Gallo? The big attorney? Yeah. Think that was a smart move? Yeah, well, the man is a seriously accomplished lawyer. He checks up on this guy, his name will show up all over the place. Mm, his name was in the papers all last week. Yeah, I saw that. But you didn't actually read the articles. No. It's too bad. Why is that? Because he's dead. Lisa is all of us on Twitter in yeah. 2019. But you didn't read the article. <laughs> you just read the headlines, not the article. Exactly. So, great. So now he's told another, you know, foot and mouth lie. Oh my God. Put some hot sauce on that foot. Because <laughs> how many times at this point has he put his foot in with this judge? I mean, really. So now we come back to the cabin. This is my favorite. This is the monologue that got me my first lead role. Oh, really? Yeah. I, the, the monologue on the porch about Where? her biological clock, I used that to audition for The Odd Couple. Where you got all? Yes. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Yes. In the female version of The Odd Couple, the Oscar character was called Olive, and that was the monologue I auditioned for. My biological clock is ticking like this. Can we talk about the suit that she is in? That is my favorite outfit of the entire movie. Right? Like, you know how the, I love me a bodysuit. With the open back and the black and just all floral. She's like, wearing black boots. Like, honestly, somebody somebody paged me the location to her wardrobe. Well, I hate to bring it up because I know you got enough pressure on you already. But we agreed to get married as soon as you won your first case. Meanwhile, ten years later, my niece, the daughter of my sister, is getting married. My biological clock is ticking like this and the way this case is going I ain't never getting married to which <laughs> Vinny responds to he's like I do not need this <laughs> he's like I'm telling you right now I do not need this 
I ain't slept in five days. I got no money, a dress code problem, and a little murder case, which in the balance holds the lives of two innocent kids. Not to mention your biological clock, my career, your life, our marriage, and let me see, what else can we pile on? Because he's finally there. I'm carrying the weight of the world on me with these two boys. Is there any more shit we can pile onto the top of the outcome of this case? Is, is it, it possible? possible? <laughs> I lo- <laughs> just like his face. He's so mad. And she's, she's like, okay, maybe it wasn't the best time to bring it up. It's <laughs> my favorite because it, that scene, while funny, is important because it gives her her first, you know, little bit of. She gets to like be like, this is what I want, you know? You know, like, yeah, that is, that's another reason why I really don't mind the lack of Bechtel test passing mm-hmm. in this movie is because Lisa does not lay down and take a minute of it. May I ask a question? What? What is the Bechtel test? Oh, oh, okay. Uh, I'm so glad I get to explain this. Okay, so the Bechtel test, Alison Bechtel, she's a writer and she does graphic novels. Really good stuff. Fun Home, Are You My Mother, great writer. And the Bechtel test is a metric that you can put against movies and TV shows where there have to be two female characters in the scene and they have to be talking to each other, but they cannot be talking about a man. Okay. And if it doesn't have at least one of those scenes then it cannot pass the Bechtel test. Mm-hmm. This has been Carrie's Feminism Corner. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, now we think that we're in location number four of staying in Alabama at Jim Trotter's hunting cabin in mm-hmm. the middle of nowhere. Dead silence. We're going to get a good night's sleep. The screech of the screech owl. <gasps> what the fuck is that? He gets a handgun. He gets a handgun from the cabinet. And walks outside and just starts shooting. It's like a maniac off the front porch. If you haven't seen the movie, it's my favorite shot in the whole movie. Where he comes out. Because there's an owl in the foreground on a branch. Yeah. And in the background, you can see the front porch from the side. And Vinny just comes running out the front door, wildly firing this handgun. In in no pants, his in his leather jacket. He's wearing tennis shoes and and his leather jacket. And no pants. And and he's just shooting. His tidy whities. The one thing, the owl is not phased even a bit. He and Lisa drive into the middle of a field. I don't understand this logic. Thinking to get away from all the noise. They drove closer to the owls. Yeah. I don't get it. And they're sitting there. In also this... sleeping in a car. Yeah, they're sleeping in a car in the middle of the field and boom. Thunder crash. Thunder crash. <laughs> and it starts raining. It's like that moment from the road to El Dorado. It's like, look on the bright side. At least things can't get. Yeah. Thunder crash. Thunder crash. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Were you about to say worse? Uh, no. No, at least we're in a rowboat. At least we're in a rowboat. And so they wake up in the morning, and what has happened? Their car has become stuck in the mud. So he goes round back to the trunk, he opens it, and he pulls something out of there, and like this bag comes shooting out of there, and it lands in the mud, and you can see that it's his suit. Like his fresh, clean suit for court. They fly into town, and they... (laughs) Lisa runs up. A suit store, or I don't know. It's such a. It's like a. It's the clothing store. Yeah, and she runs up, and there's a sign on the door that says "Closed for flu." <laughs> the whole store. The got... whole store got the flu. <laughs> then we cut to court. Oh no! Everybody's waiting on them. Everybody's waiting on Vinny to arrive. Finally, Vinny makes a grand entrance. What's he wearing? The suit that they got for him. 
she had so in order to get him a suitable outfit she had to go to a second hand store yeah yeah and it's this it looks like something the mad hatter would wear to the tea party he's in this maroon red velvet red suit it just looks like ridiculous everybody's staring everybody's snickering mr gambini are you mocking me with that outfit mocking you no i'm not mocking you judge then explain that outfit i bought a suit you've seen it now it's covered in mud this town doesn't have a one-hour cleaners so i had to buy a new suit except that the only store you could buy a new suit in has got the flu so i had to get this in a second-hand store so it's either wear the leather jacket which i know you hate or this so i wore this ridiculous thing for you trotter's giving an opening statement it's very convenient that there's a thunderstorm happening outside during his opening statement yeah for the dramatic effect uh-huh. he's a foghorn leghorn motherfucker trying to do this dramatic presentation of what happened to jimmy willis the t- yeah yeah the clerk of the sack of sus. he keeps using his hands he keeps lunging his hands at the jurors and he's like this is how it happened <laughs> Isn't it a hyena's cry? <laughs> and, and all the jurors are like, oh, oh, yes. Oh, oh how horrible. <laughs> oh, this is where they have to wake up Vinny. Yeah, because Trotter finishes his opening statement. Judge Haller recognizes Mr. Gambini. He will give you an opening statement. And he's just like, he's asleep on his hands. Oh, my God. And that's when Bill nudges him and is like, hey, Vinny, Vinny, you got you to give your opening statement. Can you open your eyes? Defend me for like two seconds. Yeah, and so he gets up, goes over to the jury, and he goes, Everything that guy just says bullshit. Thank you. Sure. Like, Vinny, you don't know what he said. And then yeah. walks back to the defense table. Of course, Holler strikes it from the record. Yeah, and he's just like, the jury will disregard. Put a quarter in the swear jar. You man. don't use that type of language in my court. So it gets a, So now it's the public defender's turn. What happens, Ross, when the public defender gives his opening Gibbons statement? Gibbons freaking out during the opening statement is uncomfortably unbearable. Oh, it's so hard to watch. Well, now, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the... Of, 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 of the... Jury, um... (laughs) Which, listen, if you have a stutter or some kind of speech impediment, we're not making fun of you. We're making fun of this fictional person who was supposed to save these two boys' lives. He was all cool. He was going to get Stan a good deal. And then... He shat the bed. He shat the bed. Like, he sits back down. And Stan's like, really? What the fuck was that? Like, (laughs) and he's... And then Gibbons like, well, yeah, I get a little nervous. A little nervous? (laughs) God! Then he was unconscious and he gave a better opening statement exactly okay so they're questioning the first witness remind me of the grits guy what's samuel tipton samuel tipton the guy who's making breakfast the public defender goes first in questioning tipton and you know the questioning is not going the way he wants it to and finally he's grasping at straws and he notices that tipton has reading glasses boys and girls this is why in court you do not ask a question you don't already know the answer to mr tipton were you wearing the mat day no. Well, as you see, <laughs> you were 50 feet away. You made a positive eyewitness identification. And, 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 and yet, you were not wearing your necessary prescription eyeglasses. 
they read in glasses. <laughs> and he tr he doubles down. He tries to uh, get the guy to tell the jury what color the defendant's eyes are. And he tells them. Brown. Hazel Green. So, like, he's double fucked up. Yeah. Like, it's just bad. And <laughs> the public defender just kind of, like, stares at him. Yeah. And he's like, touche. <laughs> sits back down. <laughs> and what's what's really funny about that is that he made the exact mistake Stan said Vinny would make. Yep. Is getting the witness to corroborate something he said on accident. Mm -hmm. Like, he, you had one job. When he sits back down, you can tell Stan is aware of the world of shit he's in. Yeah. He insisted on this. But then Vinny gets up and turns it around. Oh, yeah, he sure does. And Vinny puts forth, you know, to Sam, Sam Tipton, and he's like, is it possible that it was two different men, you know, you saw speeding out of the sack of suds? And he's like, impossible. Tipton says no. There wasn't time. How does he know that? Because he was making his breakfast, and uh -huh. it only took him about five minutes to make his breakfast from the time they went in to the time they came out. What did he have for breakfast, Ross? He had grits. Exactly. And what do we know about grits? It takes grits 20 minutes to cook steamed hot in a pot. Because no self-respecting Southerner uses instant, instant grits. grits. And that's what he asks him. I take pride in my grits, says Sam Tipton. And like, I was going to gloss over this pretty quickly, but I don't want to because this comes to a really big head yeah. because he's arguing with the guy trying to get him to admit he was wrong. Cool. And he finally, finally, he's leaning on You're the witness stand, stand yelling sure in his face. Are you sure about that five minutes? I don't know. I think you made your point. Are you sure about that five minutes? I may have been mistaken. Vinny, like, basically, like, does an alley-oop. Nothing but net. Mm -hmm. I got the guy to admit he was wrong. And stuff. I have no more use for this guy. That's how he dismisses. He's like, instead of saying, no more questions for this witness, he goes, I'm done with this guy. Stan just stands up and points to Vinny. That's our Hitler. I want him. Come on, now, move it. At the end of the day, I can't remember why, Vinny's in contempt again, but he tells Lisa not to bail him out. I'm going to stay in jail tonight. Hopefully I'll get a decent night's sleep. And you know he does. <laughs> <laughs> it's the loudest. The, but you hear all of the sirens and all of the banging going on. On the bars. But it's just like being at home in Brooklyn, right? <laughs> Slept like a baby. Slept like a baby. So... Day two of trial, Marissa Tomei is in fabulous outfit number four. Mm. That blue number with the see-through sleeves. Mm -hmm. I love that outfit. He's questioning Ernie on the stand. Ernie's the guy that lives right next door to the sack of suds. He took Polaroids of Ernie's window through which he saw the whole thing. He's pointing out to Ernie that there's no way he saw this crime committed through a crudded up through screen. Through this cruddy window. All these leaves. Like, it's impossible. And he's showing him all these pictures on the stand. And what are these really big things right in the middle of your view from the window of your kitchen to the sack of suds? What do we call these big things? Trees? Trees, that's right. Don't be afraid to shout them right out when you know. He was like, what is that? And he's like, it's a window. <laughs> and like, the bailiff is giggling. Yes. As he's asking Ernie like, all of these. That's what I was going to say. I don't think Ernie has a reputation in town for being the brightest bulb in the tanning bed. Yeah. Basically, he also gets Ernie to admit that there's no way he saw this go down the way he Because says of all of the trees and bushes in between his he, house and the sack of suds. He didn't have a clear view. Yeah. Witness testimony is already wildly unreliable. Mm -hmm. And then when you compound that with the nasty screen and obstructed view, there's no way. Exactly. So now we've moved on to Mrs. Riley, who's my favorite. Who we find out is blind as a bat. Blind. Because we bat. see her with her glasses on for the first time, and they thick 
<laughs> I'm talking with three C's. Thickaka. He he's like, how far away would you say you were when you saw the defendants flee the sack of suds? And he and she's like, about a hundred feet. So he goes, okay. And he goes along and he gets the big tape measure, right? Yeah, like the kind that contractors use. He takes it over to her. He hacks. He asks her to hold the end of it, and he starts walking down the aisle of the courtroom. He's like, "Sorry, excuse me, sorry." <laughs> as this tape measure is knocking over people, to, knocking nice ladies' hats off, about to take their head, and he gets all the way to the doors, and he's like, "Okay, this is fifty feet. That's half the distance. How many fingers am I holding up?" Let the record show that counsel is holding up two fingers. Yana, please, huh? Oh, sorry. Now, Mrs. Riley, and only Mrs. Riley, how many fingers am I holding up now? He holds up two fingers again. She studies for a second. She goes, four. Gasp from the gallery. Yeah. (laughs) And so he wanders back up with his fingers held up and puts them right in front of her face. He goes, how many is it now? And she's just like, oh, I guess I was wrong. (laughs) What do you think now? Like, what is with Vinny? He's literally toppling these witnesses like bowling pins. Like because of given a shit earlier this we wouldn't even be here right now exactly if he had knowledge of case law and procedure he could have gotten this thrown out we would not be here yeah one more thing my one of my favorite things about this scene (laughs) him high-fiving lisa warms my little heart yeah trotter calls him that night yeah that's where we are hey buddy i've got some shit that's gonna fuck up your life (laughs) i'm gonna need to know about it remember disclosure i gotta know you can't just spring this on me and he's like well i just got it tonight myself you know they always just gotten it. Yeah. Like, how fucking convenient. You know who Bill Trotter kind of reminds me of? Who? Not Bill Trotter. Jim Trotter. You know yeah. who he kind of reminds me of? Who? The district attorney from The Staircase. Totally. I, I so see it. Cut to expert witness. What's his name? George Wilbur. I'm a special automotive instructor of forensic studies for the Federal Bureau Investigation. Uh-huh. How long have you been in that position? 18 years. What's he an expert in? Tar marks. <laughs> Not tire marks. Tar Mark. I love this because, again, another example of Vinny finally giving a shit. He, like, demands that they approach the bench. <clears throat> I object to this witness being called at this time. We've been given no prior notice he'd testify. No discovery of any tests he's conducted or reports he's prepared. And as the court is aware, the defense is entitled to advance notice of any witness who will testify, particularly those who will give scientific evidence so that we could properly prepare for cross-examination, as well as to give the defense an opportunity to have the witness's reports reviewed by a defense expert who might then be in a position to contradict the veracity of his conclusions. Mr. Gambini? Yes, sir. That is a lucid, intelligent, well-thought-out objection. Thank you, Your Honor. Overruled. George Wilbur is here to positively identify the car that Bill and Stan were driving as the car that was leaving the sack of suds. Everyone thinks it was that 1964 Buick Skylark. They compare the tire marks from the scene when the actual, the people who actually shot Jimmy Willis, when they fled the scene, they peeled out of the parking lot and left tire marks. Mm -hmm. Okay, and they compared those tire marks to the tires from Bill and Stan's car. And the photo that exists shows the tire marks clearly going over with one wheel on the road and another wheel on the median separating the driveways into the sack of suds. Right. This will all become relevant. Stay with us. It's so funny because Trotter asks him, he goes, were they the same size? And he's like, they were the same size, bottle tire. And Trotter claps his hands together. He goes, identical. (laughs) Right. He's he's got so much showmanship. I know. Identical. 
identical. And so we recess for lunch. Oh, again, this is another big oh shit moment. As the testimony is wrapping up, Holler says, okay, we're now going to adjourn for lunch. And he's like, Mr. Gambini to the principal's office. Yeah, yeah. Because the bailiff has now handed him a piece of paper with some shit on it. Yeah. What does he tell Vinny? He's like, I just got some information on Jerry Gallo. And then Vinny's like, oh shit, I'm caught again. Uh So he's like, better lie again. Jerry Gallo. Jerry Gallo's dead. It's so funny. And then he's like, Judge Heller's like, I know that. It's on this paper. And he's like, you can see it on his face. He's mad that Vinny took that away from him. He goes, not Jerry Gallo. I'm Jerry Callow. Oh my God. Like, nice fucking save there, Vinny, right? (laughs) So that's out of the way. We don't have to deal with that. Well, no, we do. Because Judge Holler says, okay. I'm going to call them over there. And, like, you think this is it. You think that everything's going to, you know, fall down right in front of Vinny. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, nervous. He's got his hands in his pockets. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what's going to happen. You can call back after three. That gives you a stay of execution. Unless by some miracle you happen to win this case in the next 90 minutes. Now we have a new stressor. Vinny is having lunch in this little restaurant and he's poring over the case files. He's looking for any way that he can save these boys from mm-hmm. the electric chair. This is a bad time for Lisa to interrupt. Yeah, Lisa comes in and she's she wants to help. She's been wanting to help the entire time. But he just thinks there's absolutely no way that she can be of any help to him. And he gets mad. <laughs> yeah, he's like... He pulls out all these Polaroids she took. She's the one that took the Polaroids of the tire marks. Yep. And he's going through all of these pictures. Holy shit. You got it, honey. You did it. The case cracker. Me in the shower. (laughs) I love this. That's it. He's being a total dick. And she's just sitting there kind of taking it. Yeah. We come to dad's favorite, which is... The case cracker! (laughs) Me in the shower! (laughs) Yeah. That's dad's favorite. And so Lisa gets fed up and leaves. Because she's had it. She's done. She's done trying to be supportive and standing by her man. And frankly, I am here for it. Yeah. The case comes back from recess and Vinny looks dismal. Yeah. that's He's solemn because he knows what he has to do. Stan and Bill come back to the table and Stan's like, did you figure out anything? And he's like, very little. He's, you can hear it. He's so disappointed yeah. in himself. He's like, this is not going to happen for you guys. Like, <laughs> And I'm just like, well, Vinny, if you'd given a shit a little earlier. So he gets the expert tower witness mm. back on the stand and starts cross-examining him. And he's doing so pretty half-heartedly because he just, he knows it's over. Yeah. He gets the witness to admit that the color, the tire size, and model of car are the most popular, like, in that uh, manufacture, like, in that line of cars. By witness, we mean George Wilbur. Yes. We mean the ta- the tar expert. Yeah. <laughs> and so after that, Trotter stands up and goes, the prosecution rests. Holler asks Vinny, do you have any witnesses to call Mr. Gambini? Because now it's Vinny's turn. Yeah. But Vinny really doesn't have a leg to stand on until he looks down at the pictures that Lisa left in the restaurant when she stormed out. And it's the picture that you mentioned earlier where the tire marks are one tire's on the road and one's going up over the median. Mm -hmm. And you can see it, like, in his mind. Brain blast! Yeah. Your Honor, please, uh, can I have a five-minute recess? My next witness is not in a courtroom right now. Three minutes. No more. And on his way out, he like run, He hands a piece of paper to Sheriff Farley. And uh-huh. he's like, could you run this down for me? And he's like, no, I ain't your maid. Yeah. And he's like, please, I only have three minutes. He goes outside, tries to get on the payphone. Lisa's standing there trying to make a call to somebody. I assume to come pick her up. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. 
and he starts to struggle with her for the phone. He's great. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know how this happened. Like little five foot nothing Joe Pesci picks up this tall Amazonian woman. He positively carries her back into the courthouse. Like, like practically caveman style. Yeah. Like just throws her over his shoulder, drags her back into the courtroom, makes the bailiff put her on the stand. Mm-hmm. And he, he introduces her as an expert witness in automotive knowledge. And Trotter's not having it. Oh no, he of course not. He wants to voila the witness. Yeah. <laughs> so they get, they get Lisa on the stand and they start asking her all these questions. What'd you do in your father's garage? Tune-ups, oil changes, brake relining, engine rebuilds, rebuild some trannies, rear end. Okay, okay. What'd you do in your father's garage? It's a creepy question. Yeah. He says it so creepily. But she, like, she obviously knows her shit, but, like, that's still not good enough for Trotter. Then he qualifies by saying... Her testimony will be applicable in the realm of general automotive knowledge. So now Trotter thinks he's going to trick her in some way. He comes up with this question that he's obviously making up off the top of his head. Mm -hmm. He says, Can you tell me what would the correct ignition timing be on a 1955 Bel Air Chevrolet with a 327 cubic inch engine and a full barrel carburetor? It's a bullshit question. Does that mean that you can't answer it? It's a bullshit question. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. Your Honor. Haller interrupts and he's like, why can't you answer the question? She's like, because no one can answer that question. It's a trick question. How is it a trick question? Then he just puts his feet up on the desk, his hands behind his head. He goes, watch this. (laughs) (laughs) And then she goes on to explain to the judge... Because Chevy didn't make a 327 in 55. The 327 didn't come out till 62. And it wasn't offered in the Bel Air with a four-barrel carb till 64. However, in 1964, the correct ignition timing would be four degrees before top dead center. That's sufficient enough for Trotter. Trotter, take a seat. Yeah. And then Vinny proceeds with his line of questioning, which this is all just great theater. Then he gets her on the stand and there's a lot... It's a lot of, it's some nice book ending uh, with the scene from earlier where they're fighting and it's like role play because mm-hmm. now they're fighting, but they're like actually fighting. They're not just arguing. Like they were doing about the faucet. Yeah. In the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Except now it's a real argument because she's actually mad at him uh-huh. for how he's behaved. Can I instruct you to answer the counselor's question? No. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same. Eventually, what it comes to is Vinny puts this picture that she's taken in front of her. Of, of the, tire, the tire marks at the sack of Of the tire marks, yes. And he's like, It has been argued by me, the defense, that two sets of guys met up at the sack of suds at the same time, driving identical metallic mint green 1964 Buick Skylark convertibles. Now, can you tell us by what you see in this picture if the defense's case holds water? And, like, the obvious answer, the answer you want to hear is yes, because Mm -hmm. that means the theory, the defense's theory holds up and that Bill and Stan are going to be okay. But Lisa looks up wide-eyed and says, No. The defense is wrong. And, like, everybody, like, hangs their head. They're like, oh, shit, I thought this was going to go differently. Yeah. And then he's really, he's being very coy about it because they're on the same wavelength. Mm -hmm. They've had the same brain blast. She's explaining the tire tracks could not have been made by a 64 Buick Skylark. It had to have been made by a Pontiac Tempest. 
because of Pa's attraction. Pa's attraction! Mm. Yeah, and so it's impossible for the 1964 Buick Skylark to have made these tire tracks. Yes, this is good, because... <laughs> this is your opinion? It's a fact. <laughs> How can you be so sure? And she's like, would you like me to explain? And I love it. He's like, I would love, love to, to hear this. this. He jumps up on the desk. On the prosecution table. The, <laughs> I would... Right in front of Trotter. Yeah. I would love... Dear Positively this. swings his whole body up on the table. Because he knows that he's taking a victory lap. Yeah. And then what happens is, after she debunks this entire theory, he puts the tar expert back up on the stand and gets him to agree with her. Mm-hmm. Lisa saves the day. Like, she's literally been here the whole time wanting to help him, and he will not let her help him. Yeah. And in the end, she's the hero of the day. Remember what I said earlier? Your sexism will cost you dearly. Exactly. And, you know... Sheriff Farley comes back. <gasps> oh my with goodness! Vinny's piece of paper. Okay, Hamilton, rewind, 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 rewind. After the tar witness gets off the stand, That's Sheriff Farley comes in with a piece of paper. And De- Deus ex Farley. Yeah, <laughs> Deus ex machina. More like Deus ex Farley. He gets on the stand and he basically reads out this report that two men were arrested in Georgia. Three days ago with a 1963 Pontiac Tempest and the things they had robbed from the sack of suds, as well as the murder weapon that killed Jimmy Willis. 57 Magnum. 57 Magnum. Trotter's trying to get with the tar witness and he's like, what the fuck? And he's like, I can't refute it. I can't refute it. Their argument is solid. Like, Garner, in light of Miss Vito's and Mr. Wilbur's testimony, the state like dismiss all charges. <laughs> all right. And everybody, you know, jumps up for joy. Oh, it's the best because the music starts uh-huh. and it's like. Yeah. Everybody's clapping. Also, why are they all jumping for joy? They have all been against them this entire time. Bill is hugging the fuck out of Vinny. He can't let go of him, you know, because mm-hmm. he believed in him the whole time, you yeah. know? He knew he was going to get... Poor choice of words, but he knew he was going to get them off. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and as soon as they're done, Vinny's like, we got to get the fuck out of Bama. <laughs> you know, Judge Haller's going to be getting a call about my real identity here in a few. He's going to find out this has all been a mistrial. I've got to go. And so they're on the... Vinny and Lisa are on the front steps. They're trying to leave and Stan and Bill won't let Alicia. They're just like, we don't know how to tell you. We thank you. It's literally you every time we're trying to leave somewhere. Yeah. And Vinny... Shut up. <laughs> and Vinny's like, I love you. I love you. Tell me... Make it up to me when you get back to New York. I and- love it when he's like... Or no, he's trying to say goodbye to Trotter. And he's like, listen, I feel like if I don't leave now, I may never, never get, get to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so he gets to the curb, and who opens the door? Judge Haller, and he's got a piece of paper in his hand. Yep. He goes, Mr. Gambini, and then that's when Lisa pulls up with the car. Close. Then he like, I'm toast. This is it. He he's was g- so close. He was so close to getting away. So he holds his hands up like he's going to cuff him. In the cuff-ready position. And then Haller just takes his hand and shakes it, and he's like, I owe you an apology, sir. I'm honored to shake your hand. <laughs> Win some, lose some. Your courtroom manner, maybe rather unconventional but i gotta tell you you're one hell of a trial lawyer thank you and uh you're one hell of a judge oh sorry (laughs) he's like oh yeah maybe we can do it again sometime and like hops in the car and he's like bye and everybody's just on the front steps waving like bye and so he and lisa drive away and they're on the same 
<laughs> you know, they're on the same stretch of highway that we see in the beginning of the movie, but they're going in the opposite direction. And Vinny is all of us. He looks at her and he's like, what the fuck was that back there? Yeah, and Lisa tells him that she had a friend pretend to be a Shirley in the New York clerk's office. She called in a favor to Judge Malloy, his mentor from earlier. You know, I just put in a little call to Judge Malloy's office to verify the illustrious career of Jerry Callow. And Vinny has the gall to be pissed. That's who she was on the phone with at the phone booth when he came out to get her. And then, yeah, then he gets pissed because he didn't do it on his own. On himself. Wah. And then she's just like, oh, you poor baby. As if you would have to say thank you. <laughs> and so they, That's how it ends. they start talking about their wedding plans. And they drive away down the highway, and that's where the film comes to an end, playing a song specially written for the film. It's called The Bible Belt by Travis Tritt. Yeah. a New Yorker turning about to take a southern journey into places that he'd never been. She was a brunette out of Brooklyn, fast talking and good looking with a body that was made for sin. And she wanted him for marriage cause the torch that she carried was harder than the fires of hell. But he said he didn't need her since she followed him down deep into the buckle of a Bible bear. I just love how the lyrics are so on par with the entire movie. Yeah. Very on the nose. <laughs> what does my cousin Vinny mean to millennials? I mean, you know, I may be a special case, but all of the anti-death penalty rhetoric in this movie is really why I like it. Like, yeah, it's a classic, but, like, also running through it, there's two fictional boys' lives on the line. Yeah. And, like, yeah, they're fictional, but they represent hundreds of people who are on death row for crimes they did not commit. And, you know, since then, we have had the development of DNA technology and we're able to exonerate people who are wrongfully convicted. After they'd been put to death. Yeah. Like, that happened to, like, three guys, but they were put to death... And DNA evidence exonerated them posthumously. Like, that. It, that's such a tragedy. Nightmare tragedy. And we need to fix it. Yeah. We, we have a broken, broken system. We do. So, and then with all of everything I love about true crime, that informs the viewing of this movie. You know, lots of other people I know who like true crime like this movie. <laughs> it's just always kind of stuck with me. It's why I used the monologue to audition for that play, mm -hmm. and it's why I chose it for the very first episode of our podcast. I like it a lot because Dad got a big kick out of it. I liked seeing Dad enjoy that movie I as a child. I loved watching Dad get I liked watching, tickled. Yeah, I love watching my cousin Vinny with Dad. Like, <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah. So, how did you feel about that? How do you feel like I should be like... Was it good for you? <laughs> Our very first recording. I mean, hey, I, th I think we did a pretty good job. We were a little all over the place, but you know, it's going to be okay. I'm sweating my ass off. Me too. In this, in this, in the tiny closet. That we are producing this in. Hey, lots of great things started in the closet. Okay? <laughs> Just saying. Lots of great things. But so yeah, that's our first episode. We know it's rough at first, you guys, but hey, every podcast has a first episode. Absolutely. If you want to reach out to us on Twitter, Ross, what handle can they find you at? You can find me at Ross right now. And you can find me at Carrie Barra, C-A-R-I-E-B-E-A-R-A. -E -E so yeah, guys, thank you for joining us for our first episode of Kicking and Streaming. We hope you enjoyed it. Carrie Ann and I are really excited to be doing this. Join us for episode two uh, coming here shortly. It's going to be what wonderful movie are we going to be doing from my birth year, 1996, Carrie Ann? 
Independence Day! Independence Day, the biggest movie of 1996. I'm very excited for it. I'm so stoked. Thank you so much for listening. We are over and out. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>